The first gospel lesson today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Jesus said, come along with me. Matthew stood up and followed him. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher, acting cozy with crooks and riffraff? Jesus, overhearing, shot back, who needs a doctor, the healthier the sick? Go figure out what the scriptures mean. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. The second gospel lesson comes from the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Then he went back in the meeting place where he found a man with, cripple, with a crippled hand. The Pharisees had their eyes on Jesus to see if he would heal them. Hoping to catch him in a Sabbath infraction, he said to the man with the crippled hand, Stand here where we can see you. Then he spoke to the people, What kind of action suits the Sabbath best, doing good or doing evil? helping people or leaving them helpless. No one said a word. He looked them in the eye, one, af one after another, angry now, furious at their hard-nosed religion. He said to the man, hold out your hand. He held it out. It was as good as new. The Pharisees got out as fast as they could, sputtering about how they would join forces with Herod's followers and ruin him. This is the word of the Lord. Has anybody told you today that you're the beloved of God? You are beloved sons, beloved daughters. I was, uh, I was at the Chatham football game yesterday. I was there for the marching band. I, I hear the freshman team did really well yesterday. Three sacks? Which one of you guys got three sacks? Nice job. So I'm up in the stands, and I find myself having a conversation with one of our uh, church members about this book, The Great Spiritual Migration. He said, hey, I'm reading that book. I bought it a few weeks ago. We have some out there. He said, this is really uh, progressive stuff. Do you, think, do you think we can handle this book? I said, well, I don't know. I don't know, we'll, we'll see. This book by Brian McLaren called The Great Spiritual Migration has three movements. Last two weeks I've been preaching about the first two. The first movement is how the Holy Spirit, it's very appropriate, Tom, where's, I don't know if Tom Kitson's here, he hung the, the flame, the cross and flame up there yesterday for our supercharged conference when 30 Congregations of United Methodists had our charge conference meetings throughout the building, and he thought the Pentecost colors of the Holy Spirit would be a very appropriate thing. That's why we're in red today. Just to remind ourselves, ah, yes, we are people of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit does whatever she will. And sometimes the church gets it, and sometimes the church doesn't. And if the church doesn't, the Holy Spirit throughout history has just blown around the church. And this is the way the Holy Spirit blows, moves people of faith, and has been doing this for thousands of years, from rigid belief systems, 
to a way of life that exudes compassion, that exudes love. The belief systems, the hope is, puts us in the ballpark so that we can actually get the message which is to be filled with love for all people and all of creation. The second thing that the Holy Spirit has been doing for thousands of years and is doing in a very significant way in, in Christianity now is moving us from a God image that is punitive, a la Santa Claus, who watches if we've been naughty or nice, to a God image of a God who can only love, that's it, a God who can only love. That's the second movement in Brian McLaren's book, The Great Spiritual Migration. The third is what we're going to be talking about today, moving people of faith from a sense of organized religion to reorganizing religion around care for the common good of all people and all of creation. This is not new. The Holy Spirit has been doing this forever. Let's look at Jesus, how he made this shift and how he was challenging the religious people of his time to make this shift. Did you know that Jesus had a problem with organized religion? He did. If, if you look at these scriptures that Zainab read, from Matthew 9, Jesus is um, having a meal with Matthew, the tax collector. And Matthew's friends come to dinner. His friends were not um, acceptable people in the religious authorities' eyes at that time. In fact, this scripture says later Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with, with his close friends a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. Hey, are you hanging out with disreputable characters? If, if not, maybe you need to, because if we're followers of Jesus, Jesus was having a meal with disreputable characters. I'll let you define what that looks like. And then the scriptures go on to say, when the Pharisees, by the way, Pharisees were the the, the religious police at the time, the people who decided who's in and who's out, who's righteous, who's unrighteous, who's religious and not religious, who's acceptable and not acceptable, clean and unclean, they were the ones that took it upon themselves to decide that. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and riffraff? Have you, have you hung out with some crooks and riffraff recently? I hope you do. They're the ones that Jesus hung out with. And Jesus, overhearing this, shot back at the religious police. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. Do you hear Jesus' distinction? 
He cares more about compassion than about religion. More about love than belief systems. He says, I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. And then, this is just one of many passages from Mark and from other scriptures. When Jesus heals the man with the crippled hand, I have this image of Jesus waiting all week before he would heal anybody. I have this image of Jesus waiting until the Sabbath to tick off the religious police. We don't read about many healings that are not on the Sabbath. He waits for the Sabbath as if to say to the religious police, what is the Sabbath for? How are we supposed to act on the Sabbath? Are we to believe certain things or are we to act compassionately and heal somebody? says in this passage that the Pharisees were hoping to catch him in a Sabbath infraction. <laughs> he calls the man up with the crippled hand. He says, stand here where we can see you. Then he spoke to the people. What kind of action suits the Sabbath best? Doing good or doing evil? Helping people or leaving them helpless. No one said a word. It says in the scriptures, he looked them in the eye, one after another. I wonder how long that took. I wonder what people were feeling when they saw Jesus looking at them, as if waiting for an answer. Angry now, Furious at their hard-nosed religion, he said to the man, hold out your hand. He held it out, and it was good as new. The Pharisees got out as fast as they could, sputtering about how they would join forces with Herod's followers and ruin him. So do you see Jesus confronting religion and religious people and saying, love is greater than the law. Compassion is greater than religious regulation. Do you remember Jesus would say things like, the law says, but I say. The law says, but I say. He said that seven times in one, in one sitting. He wasn't saying the law is bad, but he was saying the law is meant to fulfill our true calling, which is to live in love, to live in compassion, to be in the flow of God's love. He wasn't saying abolish the law. He was saying let the law put you in the field of play and then realize that it's all about love for neighbor and for creation. So. Next week, or in a week, in a few days, on the 31st of October, we are going to remember across the Western world the Reformation, 500th anniversary. 1517, Martin Luther said, love is more important than the law. Compassion is more important than religion. And let's take this good news out to the people. Let's put the good news of the gospel into the language of the people. And he translated the, 
the Gospels into German, to put it in the hands of people so that they could read for themselves about God's love for them. It was a reform movement. We call it the Reformation. And the next generation of reformers went right back into institutional thinking. And it happens with most reform movements. Same thing with Methodism. John Wesley was a reformer. He, he wanted to reform the Anglican church and say, let's take the message of God's love out to the people, out to the marketplaces, out to the coal mines, out to the shelters and streets where people don't know about God's love and can't afford to take a day off of work to come to church on Sunday or don't have the clothes to dress up in to feel like they are accepted in a church. And so he took the gospel of Jesus out to the people. It was a reform movement. It shook up the religious world at the time. People threw things at John Wesley, tomatoes and rotten fruit. He would be preaching in a field and they would set the bulls loose in the field. He was not a popular guy among certain religious circles because he was saying organized religion is not where it's at. We need to reorganize around care for people. Care for children who are out in the streets with nothing to do and nothing to eat. And so he said to Methodist communities, let's feed them. And while we're feeding them, let's teach them about the love of God in Jesus Christ. It's a reform movement, but the next generations institutionalized it. And we kind of stopped going out into the streets, the highways and byways on the path. We need institutions. But institutions and organized religion in itself is not enough. We need to reorganize the way we think, not only here in Chatham, but throughout the denomination, to think first and foremost, how can we as followers of Jesus express care for the common good of all people and all of creation? Now, I think, tell me if I'm wrong on the way out, I think the Holy Spirit has been doing this in our midst for quite a while. But in the last few weeks and months, I sense the Holy Spirit is making it clear to us here in Chatham when we're in the flow of God's love and when we're in the flow of caring for the common good. Case in point, when the hurricanes hit Texas and Florida, our congregation caught this vision of taking flood buckets, empty buckets, over a hundred of them out to the farmer's market to give them away to people who might like to fill them with supplies. Many of you who were out there at the farmer's market heard the excitement and interest of people who were not necessarily church-going folks who said, I want to participate in this. I want to do something with my children or my classes or my Girl Scout troop or Boy Scout troop to put these flood buckets together to care for the common good of people who have been flooded out by the hurricanes. A whole school, Lafayette School, took 30 buckets and each class in the school put together a flood bucket. We moved from being an organized religion to reorganizing ourselves around care for the common good. 
And not only were we energized because we knew we were in the flow of God's love, but people outside of our church were energized as well. The same thing happens when we do a Rise Against Hunger event and we put together 10,000 meals. How many, how many times have we done that? Twice. Each time we do it, people come who are church-going folks and not church-going folks because they want to care for the common good. And our church provides them with that opportunity. And the energy in Rada Hall when we're putting together 10,000 meals in about two hours is a wonderful, positive energy. An energy filled with love and excitement because we know we're in the flow. In fact, we've had people of different faith traditions come to help us put meals together because they came to one of our interfaith lunches or interfaith dinners where Jews and Muslims and Christians came, came together for a meal and we invited them to come back to help us prepare food for refugees. Do you see the shift of just staying within our organized religion and how the Holy Spirit moved us to reorganize ourselves for a short burst of energy around care for the common good of all people. In a few weeks, we're going to be inviting folks to bake cookies for people who are imprisoned, that we can bring these cookies to people who are in prisons and jails who feel forgotten during the holiday times. And for a while, we will reorganize around care for the common good of all people, including imprisoned people. I close with this, that may be a vision, that may be something that we do that's wider than Chatham United Methodist Church. How many of you have uh, something in your homes that is a, a receptacle or a bag for plastic bags? If you just raise your hands. And, and what goes into that? Do you put uh, shopping bags, newspaper bags, dry cleaning bags, plastic? In our house, that bag fills up very quickly. The borough of Chatham, a few months ago, had an initiative to offer a, a, a receiving site for all that plastic and it was at the recycling center. And the challenge was if the borough could collect 500 pounds of this plastic stuff, Trex would redeem that and send Chatham Borough a recycled bench. Did any of you participate in that? Raise your hands again, because I may need to seek you out. Okay, so when very often, when we would go to the recycling center, the receptacle was so full, there was no room for this stuff. It was a six-month challenge. We collected 800 pounds of plastic in four months. That's 800,000 of these plastic bags that often end up in the ocean. You know that there's a Texas-sized island of plastic floating in the Pacific Ocean? We as Christians need to take plastic out of the system because it's killing us. 
And if you want to see some documentaries about how plastic disintegrates and gets into our drinking water, I've got some sites for you to watch. We have a responsibility to care for the water table as followers of Jesus who believe that God created this earth for us to care for and pass on to the next generation. Here's the challenge, where we might have an opportunity to take organized religion and reorganize around care for the common good, including the creation. At our last church council meeting, I invited our council to think about this and to pray about it. What if we, as the Chatham United Methodist Church, were the next site to put some receptacles out back, big bins, and we said to the town and to our communities and to the nursery school, the preschool downstairs, and to all of our friends and groups, we're collecting plastic now. The town isn't doing this anymore. We'll be the site. We'll bring this plastic down to Whole Foods. They'll sort it and send it off to the recycling center and to Trex. And if we can collect 500 pounds of this stuff in six months, we'll get a bench. At a clergy council meeting last week, we had some people from Green Faith, which is an environmental faith organization, speak and say, there's so much that we as churches and synagogues and mosques can do together to care for the environment. We all share this belief. I called a couple of clergy friends of mine in Chatham, and I said, what would happen if Chatham did the first site and in six months collected 500 pounds, and then another church was the site for the next six months, they did it, they got a bench, and if we all contributed our benches to the town, to a community area where people could sit together and face one another and have conversation with one another and fellowship with one another. And my clergy colleagues said, I don't know how we'll do it, but yes, let's do this. Chatham United Methodist Church, our council voted to move forward on this. But whether it really happens or not is depending on all of us if we're willing to participate in this effort to care for the environment that God has given us and to work with Trex in giving these benches to some... I spoke to a, a council member on the borough, town, the borough council and I said, is there a location you can think of where we could all donate these benches and create a space for community? He said, absolutely there's a space and we would love to work with you. Do you see people already catching this delight in working together? Our job is not to do the work of God. Our job is to invite everybody to do something that expresses care for the common good. And if we can do that and do it consistently, people will look at churches differently. And they'll say, oh, this group of Christians cares about all people. This group of Christian, Christians cares for the environment, this group of Christians will work with anybody, even the riffraff, if it's to care for the common good. Are you in? If you want to do any of this, would you say amen? amen. Praise God. Amen.